Well, welcome to this month's Ask Your Herb Doctor. My name is Andrew Murray. Uh, just very quickly, uh, it's the uh, winter solstice here, December 21st, 2018, and uh, we've got a full moon and an ursid meteor shower. Pretty cool, huh? Okay, so beautiful, clear evening outside, um, and at that time of the year when we have the shortest days, we can look forward to increasing day length from here within a couple of days or so. So every uh, third Friday of the month, uh, I guess I think for the last 14 or 15 years, I was thinking about it on the way in, uh, we've done this monthly show, which is a, a live show uh, broadcasted from the KMUD studio in Garberville, uh, Redway, sorry, not Garberville, in Redway, California. And um, every third Friday of the month, we decide uh, on a topic based on medicine, herbal medicine, alternative medicine, nutrition, dietary advice, etc., which we believe uh, is a good alternative uh, to standard medical practice, uh, but which we still recognize uh, medical practice as not being out of the question and certainly has a lot of benefits. It's just that some of it is very questionable. Uh, we've been very lucky to have been joined uh, for the last 10 years now, I think, uh, by Dr. Raymond Pete, who's a research endocrinologist, a scientist in the true sense of the word, uh, very much involved in real research. I, I just want to say that when people say they've been researching something recently, they typically mean they've been looking at the Internet and Googling it <laughs> and getting information wherever they can. Uh, I think in the empirical sense of the word research, uh, really involves digging into a lot of literature, a lot of documents, and scientifically analyzing the data uh, for congruence or you know, obvious mistakes. Uh, and I know Dr. Pete has spent uh, the last 45 years uh, or more uh, after his PhD doing a continued research uh, post-PhD, post-doctorate uh, in nutrition, health, uh, and how to really help yourself using very simple methods um, he doesn't advocate anything that's super expensive. Uh, it's really very common sense. And I think in a lot of ways, uh, the best help is to avoid some of the things that we're told is good for us rather than adding more things into our diet. So uh, without further ado, uh, let me just introduce Dr. Pete. You there, Dr. Pete? Yes. Hi. Well, thanks so much for joining us again. Uh, as always, uh, for the benefit of those people who perhaps have never heard you before or heard of you or tuned in, as we're always getting new listeners and uh, emails from people that say they just came across it for the first time. Uh, would you just outline your academic background to where you are now uh, before we get into the night show? Uh, first, in the 1950s and early 1960s, I was studying literature and painting mostly. And then 1968 to 72, I did a graduate program for a PhD in biology. And... Um, talking about research, uh, my approach to research probably is influenced by uh, my literature background, thinking of propaganda analysis, sensitivity to how people use language and manipulate uh, uh, preconceptions and such. Good point. Yeah. I think everyone looking at the Internet has to... Uh, spend more time thinking about propaganda analysis and how advertising has invaded the medical journals, practically taking over many of the journals. 
absolutely. Now it's a, a lot of a lot of money involved, and we do mention this many times. Um, so, Doctor Pete, just very quickly, um, your specialty. Um, let me not put words in your mouth. But I, I, I think I know, but just tell people what your specialism uh, was, what it what it came to be when you graduated, what you looked at in research, and uh, where where you're at now. Um, my dissertation was on uh, the biochemical changes uh, involved in reproductive aging, uh, working on the hamster uterus mostly, uh, and seeing uh, how many factors uh, parallel aging in the, in the biochemical uh, pattern that they create. Uh, estrogen excess, progesterone deficiency, vitamin E deficiency, uh, exposure to radiation, all create the same typical uh, uh, age pattern of metabolism. Yeah. And it, it's uh, at its most extreme in cancer metabolism. And that was why I was uh, so interested in Otto Warburg's uh, work at the time uh, when, I, when I was just starting in graduate school. Uh, American biochemists were turning against Otto Parberg despite his Nobel Prize right. uh, because he was saying that cancer is a metabolic condition, not a, a gene mutation. And now, 50 years later, finally, the U.S. and European uh, cultures are coming around to uh, looking at what Parberg uh, uh, did almost 100 years ago. <laughs> okay, good. So let me just uh, tell people here that it's a live call-in show from 7.30 to 8 o'clock. We'll take callers uh, with questions hopefully related uh, to this month's subject or continuing subject uh, of skin cancer uh, with um, some parallels with vitamin D uh, and a little follow-up on the um, cholesterol-lowering statins. Uh, we all know how bad they are for us, don't we? So the number, if you live in the area, or even if you're outside the area now, uh, 707 923-3911. So from 7.30 to 8 o'clock, we'll be taking uh, callers who want to ask Dr. Pete questions about the subject that we're talking about, or if they have any other subjects relevant to uh, alternative medicine or indeed his protocols. Uh, number again, 707-923-3911. Uh, so Dr. Pete, I wanted to uh, continue uh, last month. I had uh, questions that I never did get a chance to uh, ask you because we had so many people calling in. Um, but rather than just carrying straight off from the questions, I wanted to make sure that I got um, some coverage uh, for what was uh, later um, revealed to me about an Italian MD uh, by the name of Tullio Simoncini. Um, so he's, a, he's an MD. Uh, he's been practicing for some time, although there's been controversy about him. He's one of these doctors who... Um, essentially became quite alternative in his treatments and was um, struck off the medical reg register in, in the end. So people can read about him and uh, make your own mind up, but I wanted to let people know in relation to the context of skin cancer what he had um, been working with and doing to treat people uh, and by all accounts was getting very successful results with people, uh, both with topical cancers uh, which we were covering, or we're going to cover last month, but we're hopefully going to cover this month. Um, so 
the topical cancers uh, from the basal cell, carcinomas, uh, basal cell carcinomas to the squamous cell carcinomas, actinic keratoses, uh, malignant melanomas. Um, and he also um, treats internal cancers uh, with a different protocol. So I wanted to uh, just talk a little bit uh, about the treatment that he was uh, advocating with people um, using a 7% iodine solution for topical cancers. Um, I think the other thing that's quite interesting is that a 7% solution, for some reason, is really not offered by very many people. seems like the average concentration is between 2 and 5. Um, there's something different, I guess, because the concentration is 7% and not 2 or 5, but uh, there's something different about people that are selling this. Um, there's very few people doing it at 7%. And there's a, you know, if you look at the reviews, folks, I mean, that you don't have to take my word for it, but uh, if you go to Amazon, you know, the beam off that sells just about everything to anybody, anytime, um, and look at 7% iodine, and then check the uh, reviews from the people that have used it for skin cancers. Uh, and I wanted to ask Dr. Pete his, uh, his opinions about cancers and the treatment, uh, current therapies, including the Mohs therapy, which is a therapy where they take successive layers of the tumour uh, away and dissect them and uh, basically go deeper and deeper until everything has been taken away and it's all good and then they stitch you up if you need it and everything's just fine and dandy. Uh, I know Dr. Pete doesn't really believe in cutting any kind of cancer, uh, and he's got his own reasons, and we'll ask him about that. But um, what do you th what do you think about um, Tullio Simoncini's uh, approach to cancers and his uh, rationale that Candida albicans, which we probably all heard of, uh, which is that yeast uh, overgrowth that we all most people actually have Candida anyway, but very few people really uh, get about a bad case of it because most immune systems are able to deal with it so some people have it in their mouth or under their uh, armpits or in the between their toes um, but he's he's stated categorically that cancer is actually based uh, in a yeast and candida albicans is essentially the uh, organism responsible for it so dr pete do you, do you have any uh anything to put in about that in terms of being a, a, a you know a tenable position? About 40 years ago, there was a big mania in the U.S. Uh, blaming everything on candida. And uh, that led me to study how it actually interacts. And uh, if you're under stress and hypothyroid and inclined towards diabetes or not being able to oxidize glucose thoroughly yeah. and uh, tending to have high estrogen, it happens that all of those uh, favor and attract uh, candida growth. Uh, and so the presence of candida uh, coincides with hypothyroidism, estrogen excess, and poor, poor ability to oxidize glucose. Um, so it happens that inflammation and in in uh, improper oxidation of glucose is typical uh, of cancer metabolism more intensely than of uh, simple stress metabolism. So, so he, uh, Simoncini is seeing uh, something very uh, central to, to the metabolism of, of 
cancer, which is intensified by the inflammation-promoting effects of the candida. And candida itself, besides being attracted to estrogen, uh, it's, estrogen is a sex hormone for the candida fungus, and it contains an enzyme uh, which can aromatize uh, male steroid hormones. Okay. Uh, so it can become an amplifier of estrogen. First it's attracted to it and stimulated by it. So it can, it, it, it can convert testosterone then into... Uh, uh, yeah, uh, uh, at least one of the uh, huh. uh, precursor androgens, okay. yeah. uh, uh, steroid uh, uh, from, from the adrenal uh, rather than from the gonads. Right, okay. Uh, and so it's definitely, in many ways, an amplifier of cancer once it gets in a, a, a tissue uh, and... Uh, when the immune system is failing, the um, uh, fungus can convert from a, a, a yeast form to a filament form and invade the tissues uh, uh, looking for sugar and estrogen. Uh, so it's very commonly associated with cancers. The sicker a person is, the weaker their immune system is, right. and the, uh, the less they are, are using their own uh, glucose, and they're producing themselves histamine and um, lactic acid in the tumor, and both of these are attractive to the fungus. And so if you uh, simply increase the, the pH and do it with uh, uh, bicarbonate, which con converts to carbon dioxide, uh, that helps to suppress the uh, cancer-promoting uh, lactic acid formation by the tumor itself. Huh. Okay. Uh, so he's, he's really onto something, and his critics uh, really, uh, most of them, uh, sound sort of nasty and hysterical. <laughs> okay. Well, there's a couple of things I want to pull out from what you've said here. Um, I guess, number one, uh, last month we talked about a vitamin D deficiency, and then reports say that up to a billion people on the planet are vitamin D deficient, and they're increasingly raising uh, the vitamin D levels to reflect what would actually be a good level of vitamin D because they find now that it's so important in immune function. And last month you mentioned something about the skin's immune system and the deficiency of vitamin D in the skin of people, especially as they get older. Um, and so that vitamin D deficiency, localized deficiency there, would also play a part in uh, formation of a skin cancer to allow it to be outside of the body's surveillance. Um, yeah, and that follows from a, a cholesterol deficiency with aging. Yeah, the that was ability it. to make cholesterol and the steroids goes down. And so uh, when, when the uh, sunlight hits old skin, it yeah. makes much less uh, vitamin D. Yeah, that was uh, it. Uh, just a few months ago in Poland, there was an interesting article on the um, so-called activated form of vitamin D, calcitriol, or 1,25-hydroxy-vitamin D. And uh, they showed that it uh, helps that vitamin D form, the active so-called form, uh, 
suppresses immunity and, and creates the ideal environment for uh, causing mammary gland uh, cancer metastasis. Wow. So hang on. Um, you're saying the one... Again, this was going to be another question that I had for you, but um, so now is probably a good time to ask you. The, that You're saying the 1-alpha-25 dihydroxy vitamin D is not actually the beneficial form, but that is the form in which people would use vitamin D, is it not? Um, no, that, that's produced under stress. It's sort of the, uh, the way the uh, steroid hormones under extreme stress uh, can emphasize the estrogen uh, version of the steroid. Uh, the calcitriol is the extreme stress form of vitamin D. It has its use under stress, but uh, like estrogen, it easily becomes uh, uh, counterproductive and in the case of, of cancer can promote the, the cancer spread. Okay, so I think probably what I meant to say was that the calcitriol is the end of the metabolic pathway for production of vitamin D. Um, yeah, and when you're well supplied with calcium and uh, the vitamin D precursors uh, or sunlight and uh, cholesterol, uh, you have a very low level of calcitriol. Okay, okay, got it. All right, so um, this, this again... Um, Okay, so the 1-alpha-25 dihydroxy is not what you want, even though it's the end of the metabolic pathway, but that won't be reached if you have adequate um, levels of thyroid and um, what the other thing you mentioned here, calcium. Um, yeah, uh, like uh, pregnenolone is the precursor of the pathway that at its end point yeah. leads to estrogen and aldosterone and, and other end steroids. But if you take enough pregnenolone, you'll reduce those end products rather than increasing them. Right. Okay, good. Okay, you're listening to Ask Your Obe Doctor on KMUD Garbable 91.1 FM. Uh, from 7.30 until the end of the show, people are invited to call in with questions about this month's subject of skin cancer uh, and indeed uh, cancer metabolism uh, per se. And uh, the number here is 707 Nine two three three nine one one. So from seven thirty till the end of the show, eight o'clock, you're invited to call in. So, Doctor P, um, Tulio Simoncini, you say that he's onto something in his understanding or his his uh, his positing this idea that the Candida albicans is actually the uh, the culprit here behind cancers. He actually shows on a couple of uh, there's a few YouTubes of him if people want to go uh, to YouTube and type in. Uh, Tulio Simoncini. His name is T U L L I O Simon S I M O N C I N I. Um, there's a couple of YouTubes where he's um, showing. Um, he's basically because he's an MD. He's working with oncologists. In fact, I think he was an oncologist, and that's um, how he got to be so opposed to the method or the methodology uh, used in oncology to treat cancers. And he saw that tumors invariably um, had uh, white centers to them, white patches, white growths, uh, and that this was Candida albicans. And um, I think you've mentioned that Candida is a very opportunistic infection and actually will uh, be very, very uh, quick to take uh, a residence uh, in locations where it's not normally allowed to be in. And in the past, when I talked to you about Candida, you've said that really, and this is again, it's I think poor misinformation from maybe the internet or word of mouth repeating the same mistake, but 
Um, you do not want to starve the body of sugar, which is typically what they say for candida. Um, and that is, I think you've explained that, quote me if I'm wrong, um, but that the um, filamentous form is initiated when the fungal organism is actually deprived of sugar and it wants to go further into the tissues to pull more sugar out. So you um, do. Yes, if it's happy in the intestine, it's, it grows in the yeast form, right. getting enough sugar. But when there's no sugar in the intestine, and it starves, uh, then it will uh, attach itself to the surface of the intestine and then send out filaments to uh, find sugar from the right. uh, bloodstream or the, or the cells. Okay, so that was uh, a little bit of the uh, overview of um, that doctor's approach to uh, topical skin cancers uh, was using a 7% iodine solution. Like I said, if people want to go to Amazon, look at 7% iodine and read the customer reviews. They're all positive and they all talk about how they had basal or squamous cell carcinomas uh, and they've gone. You know, given X amount of weeks of treatment with iodine, it's gone. Um, other people, obviously, with things like fungal situations, fungal nail or, uh, you know, stubborn athlete's foot, etc., uh, say much the same thing. Um, I just wanted to talk a little bit about Simoncini's work using intravenous injectable sodium bicarbonate. And I know you're quite a big fan uh, of sodium bicarbonate and CO2 and the whole concept uh, of bicarbonate and how it's, uh, how it's helpful, not just in the context of being an alkalinizer, because I know you're not really on the acid alkaline bandwagon, as it were, but you've got a much more scientific approach to the basis for uh, alkalinizing, uh, or, or indeed how possible that is to change your pH uh, systemically. But locally, I think for injecting uh, that product around or into solid tumors is what, uh, is what Simon Simoncini has been working with. Um, yeah, when the body, when, when bicarbonate gets into the bloodstream, the sodium leaves in the urine and the bicarbonate uh, is converted to carbon dioxide uh, as it enters the cell. Yeah. And so it acidifies the intracellular uh, environment okay. uh, despite increasing the alkalinity temporarily of, of the bloodstream. And the um, typical cancer metabolism has a, an alkaline intracellular pH. And so you're getting right at the heart of, of the problem when you increase the CO2 inside the cell. Uh, since the 18th century, carbon dioxide gas has been used to treat uh, visible cancers such as uh, ulcerated breast cancer. And the Japanese are currently uh, using it to treat uh, uh, cancers uh, using that same principle, that it acidifies the cell, turns off the growth mechanism and the production of lactic acid. And um, several uh, drug companies are working on uh, enzyme inhibitors uh, uh, similar to acetazolamide, but things that they can patent to... Uh, increase the internal acidity uh, of cancers. Cause just for the folks who maybe don't know about it, acetazolamide is something that you've said uh, uh, is uh, useful for raising your own production of CO2, and if you're going to elevation or something like that, can help you get ready for it? Uh, yeah, it causes the body to retain it and acidifies the whole body right. when you get a certain amount. But 
intracellularly <coughs> that acidification turns off lactic acid production. Right. And lactic acid is the main uh, carcinogen, effectively. Got it. Because it's an energy depleter, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, you know, we do have actually got, uh, have a caller on the line here who's been waiting for five minutes or so. So let's, um, let me just firstly say uh, people want to call in from 7.30 till the end of the show. The number is 707-923-3911. So, caller, uh, you're on the air. What's your uh, question and where are you from? Well, I'm from Petrolia. I guess um, you might have answered my question because I have the crusty carcinoma uh, skin cancer type of thing on my hand, back of my hands, okay, and the side of my neck, and uh, I was wondering about what I could do to get rid of the scab of the crust on it. Mm-hmm. And now you're telling me a seven percent solution of iodine mm-hmm. might be the solution. Yeah, yeah. If you if you go to Amazon, uh, type in seven percent iodine. Um, mm-hmm. Read read the customer reviews about it, and then if you want, uh, type in that doctor's name, uh, Giulio Simoncini, uh, is an Italian MD. Like I said at the beginning of the show, he has actually been struck off the register because they've, um, you know, invariably called him a quack doing what he's doing, even though he has a lot of testimonials from people that have gotten over cancer, uh, both skin cancers and solid tumours that were previously inoperable. So it's again, it's one of those uh, one of those paradoxes where there's somebody who's saying that something actually is very possible here. Uh, he's being disavowed by the medical association because what he's doing is not uh, in medical regular medical practice. So um, you can go ahead and um, search you for look, those two I look things. up the name uh, Julio Tulio. Yeah, but no, Tulio begins with a T. So T U L O. Yeah, Tulio T U L L I O, and his last name is Simon S I M O N. C uh-huh. C I N I, Tulio C I N I. And then he'll cover. You can uh, read, um, you know, what people that are supporting his uh, rationale are talking about. Um, but seven percent iodine has been used for some time here for uh, topical skin, skin cancers. Oh, great. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I enjoy your show. Yeah, you're welcome. Okay, so we do have one more caller, I think, on uh, on the line. Okay, with two more. Okay, so caller, you're on the air. What's your question? Where are you from? Um, my name is Peter. I'm from San Francisco. Hey, Peter. What's your question? Uh, I have a question about hypertonic liquids. Uh, I've noticed a benefit from adding sugar to milk. I mean, milk uh, sugar to milk in orange juice. Um, and I'm just wondering what the mechanism is for that. Uh, why that works, Doctor Pete? Um, hypotonic. Uh, liquids hitting the stomach and the intestine cause a stress reaction and release, uh, among other things, serotonin into the bloodstream. Uh, and hypertonic things, if they're uh, within reason, uh, you can injure your stomach with like a, a big dose of salt or uh, dry, dry sugar. It has a dehydrating influence, but uh, if it's a, a moderate hy- hypertonicity, it uh, has a, an anti-inflammatory effect, uh, uh, helps to regulate uh, energy production, pH, and uh, it's uh, various hypertonic solutions are being used in resuscitation now, uh, rather than uh, just increasing the, the blood volume with isotonic saline or glucose. Uh, they use three or four or five times uh, 
uh, isotonic uh, concentrations and a small volume, like a cupful of a hypertonic solution, has, has a, a very intense resuscitating effect in shock. Great. Thank you. All right. Thanks for your call, caller. Okay, I think we have one or two more. So uh, next caller, you're on the air. What's your question and where are from? Yeah, hi. My name is Dirk. I'm from Redway. Okay, Dirk, what's um, your question? Hi. Yeah, well, um, my grandmother, 96-year-old, um, sedentary, um, indoors a lot. I was just listening to you. She might suffer from vitamin D deficiency. Um, she had a squamous cell in her nose, mm-hmm. um, very persistent, formed a scab that would slough off um, and, you know, was bothering her. It was causing a lot of itching. And, and uh, you know, the excising was the doctor's recommendation, and we opted against that because it would remove her entire nose, practically. So um, we applied uh, cannabis oil in an in a, uh, olive oil suspension. Okay. And within two weeks, it went away. So I'm wondering if you have any comments about the possible e- efficacy of the cannabis, or was it the olive oil that did it? I mean, do you have, do you have any, you know, okay, uh, well, let's, any let's, ideas about that? Yeah, let's ask Dr. Peake. I know you've got uh, certain uh, certain opinions about uh, cannabis or and or uh, the olive oil. I've, yeah, I'm inclined to think it's the olive oil that's therapeutic because it has so many uh, anti-inflammatory effect where uh, I think the cannabis uh, oil has some uh, potentially uh, pro-growth, pro-inflammatory uh, components or effects. Do you think that's the uh, oleanolic uh, component of the olive oil, or do you, do you think there's only one thing about it? Um, uh, the, the, um, the things related to the uh, uh, cannabis, uh, the characteristic uh, 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 what are they called? The, the endogenous cannabinoids. Anandamide, I think, is the okay. endogenous one. It is a metabolite of a, a very unsaturated fatty acid, and uh, the um, effects that I've seen uh, really are along the line of the polyunsaturated fatty acids themselves, which mm. as a group uh, are amplifiers of the estrogen right. effect. Yep. So not uh, not positive at all, but you think uh, the uh, components within olive oil uh, could well be beneficial? Uh, yeah, there are, there are several things in it that I think can have a protective anti-cancer effect. Okay. Yeah, within, two, within two weeks, the tumor completely vanished. Good. <laughs> that's, yeah. the, that's the main thing. All right, thanks for your question. Uh, we've got a couple more callers on there. Okay, so, uh, if people want to call in, like I said, from now until the end of the show, the number seven zero seven nine two three three nine one one. Dr. Raymond Peets, our guest. Uh, skin cancer is the topic of this evening. So, caller, you're on the air. Where's, uh, where are you from? What's your question? Um, from New York. Um, two questions on, on the topic. First, on vitamin uh, D, uh, you, you mentioned PUFA and fish a lot of PUFA, but um, not as bad as seed oils. Um, what about like sardines? Because it's like a whole, it's a whole fish, so you're getting a lot of different type of minerals. And also, it seems like it's a pretty good source um, for vitamin D as well, and perhaps bioavailable. Um, versus taking a pill, which you know, I know you mentioned you need cholesterol and sunlight, but there might might be other vitamins or other minerals that might be 
needed within the body to actually absorb that vitamin D. I'm just thinking those might be available if you eat like a whole sardine. Mm -hmm. So trying to figure out whether the PUFA in sardines is is closer to halibut, because I know you mentioned halibut is a pretty good one. So that that's one question. And the second one is related to the earlier comment that was mentioned on candida albicans. If you have like fungal toe, and I know I'll look up this, this Tulio MD, but Dr. P, what would you uh, say to someone? Um, do they have to be really healthy to try to attack fungal toe, given the comment that it could spread to another area and be more problematic in the body if you chase it out of your toe? Um, or how, how do you approach something like that? So those are my, those are my okay. two questions. Thanks for your question. So, Dr. Pete, first question about sardines. How do you rate sardines? Uh, the calcium content, maybe from all the bones, is probably beneficial, but what do you think about sardines? A very good general nutritional value, including selenium and yeah. iodine and other trace minerals that all of the ocean organisms have. But uh, it does have a lot of the polyunsaturated, so I, I think maybe one meal a week is yeah. fine. Plenty. <laughs> Okay, and then uh, do you... Oh, well, actually, I was asking about the vitamin. Is, is it also a good source of vitamin D or not? Uh, yeah, they, I don't know how much, but uh, everything that is exposed to uh, sunlight tends to have some of it. Oh, okay. And then um, what's, the, uh, what's your other rationale for, as uh, the caller says, chasing fungal organisms out from the nail bed by treating them into other areas. Is that even a possibility? Uh, no, I don't think uh, that would happen if you're using something like uh, 7% iodine uh, on the uh, infected nail. Uh, it takes a long time to diffuse through a toenail, but it is a, a good fungus killer. Okay, good. All right, well, thanks for your call, caller. Uh, we've got a couple more callers on the air, so let's get this next caller. Call away from, and what's your question? Hi, I'm from the San Francisco Bay Area. Hey, welcome. Hi, I have a question not related to the topic. I was, um, it's, it's a question about relationships. I was in a very toxic relationship this year and found out that there was substance abuse, which led to um, a lot of the lying and manipulation and, unfortunately, cheating, which... Uh -huh. um, ultimately ended the relationship. And I'm curious, Dr. Pete, um, how uh, bad relationships, how do they affect individuals and can they affect one's physiology, um, obviously, when there's stress involved? Uh, okay. uh, it, it, it's a very powerful stressor. Right, I was just thinking. Uh, <laughs> uh, eating, eating well uh, <laughs> can, can help to um, uh, offset the stress, but... Uh, the, the attitude, the way you interpret the experience is also uh, essential uh, to, uh, to see it as, as uh, just one of the challenges of, of living, I think, okay. and uh, not, not uh, interpreted in any way that uh, impairs your, your um, understanding of yourself. It should just be seen as uh, one of the environmental challenges. Oh, very good. Okay, so there you go. Number one, it does cause a lot of stress, which we all know is bad for you. Um, and that stress can uh, lead to things like rapid weight loss uh, because you go off food and just you don't feel good. And number two, just to not let that uh, become a psychological um, damaging mechanism because it's just part of... Uh, 
part of what we go through and how you deal with it. Excellent answer, Dr. Pete. <laughs> okay, so I think we have another caller on the air. Caller, where are you from and what's your question? Hi. I am calling from Finland oh, yeah. on the <laughs> longest night of the year. Okay. And my question was regarding to um, CO2. I, I understand it was discussed previously on other shows that uh, CO2 is beneficial, and I found out that they are selling uh, for growers mostly bags, I think, of uh, fungus, I suppose, uh, which uh, generate CO2, and I, I was wondering if, uh, if, well, if it could be a good idea to have those bags around uh, the house increase the CO2 level. Presumably there's no spores with it too, right? It's uh, it's just... Uh, I gonna, imagine. Yeah, well, hopefully not. You'll be sitting there breathing that in day and night. Or uh, Anyway, okay. Dr. Pete, um, did you did you hear all of that question? Not all of it. Where, where was the fungus? Uh, yeah, just describe again. How, I mean, is it bag? Is it a bagged product? How does it, how does it release it? Exactly. I, I suppose it's a plastic bags of several... Kilograms, oh, oh, or maybe oh. I don't know, six okay. pounds or so. Okay, and you just and lay I it on the soil. That or? In there, there is some kind of fungus and something to feed it. Okay, all right. Um, uh, yeah, I, I had a, had a bag of uh, uh, masa arena from Mexico that had the humidity in Oregon <laughs> started a fungus growth, and for about a year, it was hot and producing <laughs> carbon dioxide. So, it's a, a very a productive uh, uh, passive way to, to um, increase the carbon dioxide in your in your bedroom, for example. But I, I don't think it emits anything seriously harmful, other than than the, uh, carb, the the carbon dioxide is beneficial. And I don't think if it has a, a like a, a cloth enclosure, I don't think it's going to put out any spores. Thank okay. you very much. Okay. Well, thank you for your call. Okay, so the number, if you live uh, here, or even if you don't live here, if you live in Finland, uh, the number is 707-923-3911. And I have a question. My name is Michael. I'm from Redway. Hey, Michael. Uh, I might have missed this when I was dealing with callers, but I know uh, a lot of people would have candida in our community, and we'd go through the candida diet, which would involve starving it with no sugar. So does that imply that you could get some sort of colon cancer or something from it? latching on, and how do you get rid of it if you have the overgrowth? I, I've heard of yeah. some bacteria Dr. that Pete, eat it. Given that we are on the on the subject of candida here being positively uh, associated here with tumors and cancers, and the underlying belief is that you starve, a can, uh, starve candida from sugar because everyone's demonizing sugar, which we've always maintained is actually very good for you. Um, how, how do you see the uh, treatment of candida? Just a pinch of flowers of sulfur, if it's internal, if it's on your cheeks, uh, you can um, rub it with your finger into the, the white spot. Uh, just um, wet your finger, dip it in the flowers of sulfur mm -hmm. and rub it on. Otherwise, if it's uh, in your stomach or intestine, a pinch of it every day for three or four days uh, is very reliable for cleaning it out of your intestine. And uh, if it's in on your skin, uh, genital or crotch area in general, where it's living in the, the sweaty area, uh, dusting the area uh, with flowers of sulfur, or uh, I, I had a, a 
whole body uh, coverage of uh, some kind of fungus when I was uh, in a, a tropical area of Mexico, and uh, uh, someone from the Amazon had a similar experience, and she told me about uh, the 10% sulfur soap. One bath uh, eradicated it. Uh, it it's uh, amazingly effective against uh, skin candida infections. And is flour of sulfur, is that the same thing that winemakers or uh, uh, wine growers, the powder oh, they put uh, on their grapes? Um, I think they use a cruder, cheaper form of it. But, it, yeah, it's a, a good fungus killer uh, on plants, on roses and, and grapes. and Just uh, elemental sulfur. Well, I think they sublime it. I, I, for some reason, I think that's... Uh, the, the relevance with flowers of sulfur but you can get it um, I know that we've gotten the local pharmacy here uh, a few years back now uh, to get it it was one of those things you could get easily at one point in time but like so many things like iodine even um, you know become relegated to the uh, rather more profitable and toxic versions of the latest uh, latest craze so yeah, anyway, for flowers of sulfur either uh, topically or using um, a medicated flower, uh, medicated sulfur soap. Okay, so we have one more uh, caller on the air. Caller, where are you from? What's your question? Hi, I live in Pepperwood, and um, my question is: um, I was just recently diagnosed with Hashimoto's, which is a hypothyroidism, and um, I have two questions. I am reading a book by Anthony William called Thyroid Healing, and I wanted to know if Dr. Pete had read that and what he thought of it. And my other question is, um, my symptom is erratic blood pressures. Um, no pattern to, you know, day or night or, um, and just what he would suggest to uh, support um, thyroid function and maybe stabilizing the blood pressure. Have, have you had your TSH measured? Yes. It was high. That's um, So I've had two blood works done. Uh, it was five, the TH, TS, TSH. And then the um, I also had the free T3 and free T... Four and um, the practitioner that I saw said that it was in the normal range. But according to another book that um, I have been reading, um, it was not uh, thought to be in a normal range. So Do you know what the values were? Do you have the labs with you? Or? I don't. Um, right. They were higher than, um, so I'm reading, the other book I'm reading is um, The End of Alzheimer's, uh, and the ranges that were given in those, in that book, my ranges were, what, for one, it was lower, and for the other, it was a, a little bit higher. Hmm. Did, did you, uh, you actually got a diagnosis of Hashimoto's based on just the TSH or antibody studies that they did or anything else? To... Um, they, they, um, they said that 
my magnesium was also in um, a low range and um, not not too much alpha. You know, it was um, it was a difficult appointment, and um, I called back and got more information over the phone. Um, Caller, you're fading out there. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, what was suggested to you as a uh, way forward? Just before we ask Dr. Pete his, uh, his um, advice. Wait three months and come back. <laughs> okay, great. Uh, okay, so I think the main question is, Dr. Pete, um, the erratic blood pressure she's talking about with no seeming pattern to it and a, a TSH of 5, uh, which is a little outside the reference range. And what do you think about that? I know you've dealt with very few people over your lifetime with Hashimo true Hashimoto's, but what would you speak to that? Um, Broda Barnes, uh, in his books, uh, advocated the use of temperature uh, as an important basis for diagnosing uh, functional hypothyroidism. Uh, back in the 1930s, if we used their definitions of hypothyroidism, about 40% of Americans would fit their definitions. But in the, in the 1940s, the uh, drug industry uh, came in with some ways of uh, chemically diagnosing hypothyroidism. Uh, it happened that they were completely meaningless biologically, but they convinced everyone that 95% uh, of the population is not hypothyroid. And this is a thyroid stimulating hormone, you've uh, 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 No, they, they were using a protein-bound iodine, which has absolutely no... Got it. Uh, relation to, to how you're experiencing your thyroid. Uh, and the, about 20 years later, when that was thrown out as completely meaningless, they switched to the TSH as the, they call it the gold standard of, of thyroid diagnosis. But they completely neglect the fact that stress lowers your TSH. And uh, so that you can be uh, under such intense stress with high cortisol that your your TSH can be down near zero while your thyroid gland is producing nothing. Uh, also, they neglect that TSH is an inflammation promoter. It in itself creates hypertension by uh, causing inflammation. Uh, directly in, in the blood vessels as well as in the bone marrow and every place it's been studied, it, it has uh, harmful tissue effects. So uh, one of the uh, effects of the thyroid hormone on your blood pressure is simply that it suppresses TSH. Uh, people in a, a, a population that was determined to be generally healthy without heart disease or cancer their uh, TSH was zero, uh, uh, point, uh, point zero 0.04 or less. Uh, so they were all in the what would be diagnosed as a hyperthyroid state. But, right. Uh, uh, so many people now are saying that uh, the upper limit of TSH should not be higher than 2.0. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, the um, uh, 
T4 and T3 uh, in the bloodstream can't be interpreted all by themselves. You have to know what the reverse T3 is because uh, it can interfere with the activity of, of the T3 itself. Okay, and then how about, um, I think, without going into a, um, without going any further for this particular person in terms of understanding it, what would you speak to their uh, erratic uh, blood pressure? Do you know what your blood pressure is? Yes, it's it varies, but it's been typically in the 140s. Um, usually the bottom number can be 79, 85, mm-hmm. 93. Um, my pulse is... I believe high at 70, 74. That's Sometimes it's yeah. lower than that, you know, um, hey, that 52. Pulse sounds good. It's good to check your temperature and pulse rate when you first wake up and then later in the day. Broda Barnes believes that the waking temperature should be very close to 98 degrees and then the mid afternoon temperature should be closer to. Uh, 98.6. Okay. Uh, And uh, my own experience, uh, when I stopped taking thyroid for a while, uh, my blood pressure has gone up to something like 170 over 110, and other times as low as uh, uh, most doctors wouldn't believe it, but uh, 55 over 28. (laughs) Wow. Did you feel bad when it was high? Uh, No, I felt fine, but uh, I I got back to taking more sugar and thyroid quickly when I saw how high it was. Wow. I see. (laughs) Well... If if you want, Caller, um, I've... I'll give out the details at the end of the show. Okay. Uh, but in case I forget, um, you can email me, Andrew, A-N-D-R-E-W, at westernbotanicalmedicine.com. Okay. Uh, just email me. Um, just put in there, uh, you know, I was a caller about temperature, and I'll, I'll, send you, I'll send you something that you can go fill out, and uh, we'll take a look at it. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Okay, we have another caller on the air. Call away from, what's your question? Uh, from New Jersey. Two questions. On vegetables, you mentioned in a previous show that they provided a lot of calcium. But if you eat cooked vegetables, whether it's root vegetables or greens, and you cook them, um, do you get rid of the PUFA? And also, do you have, in addition to PUFA, a phosphate to calcium ratio issue depending on the type of vegetable? Because I believe that maybe... Andrew's wife had mentioned something about cooking vegetables in baking soda, and for some reason that perhaps helped the phosphate ratio. I could be misremembering, but that's question one. The second one on mushrooms, does that uh, have the same effect as carrots and charcoal and pau de arco? Or if so, how how is it different um, from from those? So those are the two. What was the question about the mushrooms again? Well, that was the second question about is it really most targeted toward endotoxins, similar to charcoal and and the carrot salad, or and if so, how how does it work differently from those? Is it should it be a main staple of eating um, to replace or to 
trade off against using carrot salad or charcoal? Um, uh, yeah, it, it has a, a good balance of all of the nutrients uh, compared to carrots. Um, cooked mushrooms uh, have, uh, in general, uh, a fair balance of minerals. They're, they're somewhat low in calcium, but uh, not as bad as, as uh, grains and beans and, and meats. Uh, but uh, they have the, the fibrous effect that the carrot has of uh, uh, helping to sweep out the intestine just by the bulk effect. Uh, okay, and the first, the, the first question was on the vegetables and the root vegetables. If you um, cook them in baking soda or water, but you add baking soda, does that somehow, somehow reduce the phosphate and no, reduce it, the pupa? It, it makes the, the substance more digestible, uh, so you get more protein out of it. But uh, uh, the greens do have uh, too much PUFA to uh, use them as your main food. Uh, when the cows, even if you cook them, even if you cook them for forty minutes or whatever. Um, uh, yeah, if you cook them uh, for hours, uh, much of the PUFA would float to the surface, and you could get some of it off that way. But uh, still, they're, they're high in PUFA, and uh, the, the uh, cow's digestive system uh, uses bacteria and vitamin E to uh, eliminate 98% of the PUFA, so it's better to process greens through, through cows. Uh, um, Drinking the milk. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the um, calcium-phosphorus ratio is the best thing about greens. Uh, they're extremely high in calcium relative to phosphate. Are, are root vegetables um, uh, the not, same? Not, or are they, do you look at those differently? You still have to cook those for an hour, and, and do they have benefit? Um, um, yeah, turnips, for example, uh, I, they have uh, uh, fructose when they're in a young and fresh state and uh, are uh, relatively nutritious. Just not a poofa, no poofa problem on those. The, the what? There's less of a poofa problem in the roots uh, than uh, there are in the no, greens. Much less right? of a poofa problem. Okay, I think we better hold it right there because it is just a couple of minutes to the top of the hour where we're going to be ending the show. So thank you so much for all the callers that have called in. Uh, Dr. Pete, once again, uh, thank you so much uh, during this year uh, as well as all the others for just giving your time and uh, making yourself available and um, leaving a lasting testimony uh, both on the Internet um, and as well as currently uh, with people uh, further researching what you're talking about. Okay, thank you. Goodbye. Okay, thanks again. Uh, okay, so for people who have listened to the show and uh, are interested to find out more about what we've discussed, uh, what Dr. Pete's perspective on skin cancers is in relation to uh, Tullio Simoncini, uh, his work uh, with iodine and uh, bicarbonate uh, is an anti-cancer treatment, uh, as well as um, Dr. Pete's perspective on cancers and uh, health-related uh, topics of which most people may be getting the wrong information, visit his website. It's uh, www.raypeatrepeat.com. He's got a lot of fully referenced articles uh, that you can download. Uh, you can read 
everything that he's published so far, which is pretty voluminous. And um, you could, I believe he's still answering emails, although I know he is so swamped and has gotten so busy. Uh, but I think he does his best to answer those. And he has a newsletter uh, also, which I know a lot of people have subscribed to uh, over the last, I don't know, decades. Uh, but anyway, um, for those people who have listened to the show and have enjoyed uh, what we have to talk about and or anything else, uh, we can be reached uh, Monday through Friday at uh, 1-800-1888, sorry, it's not an 800 number, it's 1-888-WBM-HERB, or visit our website, it's westernbotanicalmedicine.com. I'm actually a medical herbalist from England, and uh, we produce extracts of medicinal herbs, and obviously we love alternatives uh, to traditional uh, not traditional, the current the current therapies, uh, which unfortunately, uh, a lot of which seem to be very untried and uh, causing more problems in most cases. Anyway, um, thanks so much for listening and uh, be back third Friday of January 2019. Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. <laughs>